everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. Together we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie post-game show after what we could probably describe as, as another Thanksgiving massacre for the Winnipeg Jets. Just to give a little bit of context, last year, the day after Thanksgiving, the Winnipeg Jets came rolling into this building right here, the XL Energy Center, to play the Minnesota Wild, and the Wild put up a touchdown on them uh, in a 7-1 to victory, while well, the Jets um, did a little bit better this year. An unconverted touchdown is all it was. Um, but boy, oh boy, last season, maybe you could see it coming. It was right around this time last year that the Jets' season that had the hottest start they'd ever had in franchise history started to unravel. Um, it, let's hope that's not what's happening right now for the Winnipeg Jets, but that's what was happening at that point last season. They had the day before Thanksgiving had lost a game to the um, uh, Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, I know that because I was in Columbus covering that game and uh, went to get my uh, COVID test results, which you needed to fly at that time to get back across the border. And because it was Thanksgiving and everyone was so busy, I never got my test results uh, back in time. So I was stuck in Columbus for American Thanksgiving and had a very romantic dinner with John Bartlett, who was also calling that game, who was also calling the game here tonight. So it's not quite a year ago all that happened. Uh, <clears throat> last year was the day after Thanksgiving, this the day before, but I think the moniker of the uh, <clears throat> Thanksgiving massacre probably uh, applies in both cases. This one may be a little bit more surprising. Uh, as I was saying, last season, the Minnesota Wild had already established at this point early on they were a really, really great team. This year, they've been a team that struggles. Interesting coming into this game, their head coach, Dean Evison, had said he had not felt that feeling that they the Minnesota Wild had had last year in their locker room until the last game they played, which is a come-from-behind victory against the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, the last time they played was the game before they played the Winnipeg Jets the night the Jets played the Pittsburgh Penguins, and then... Of course, the Carolina Hurricanes, Hurricanes would move on to Winnipeg where they would lose in overtime to the Jets. Um, Dean Evison said at that day, this building, um, the team, it started to feel like what it felt like last year. Uh, I, I never got to ask him the question, but I'm assuming this after tonight feels very much what they felt like last year. This was a game in which I thought that the uh, Minnesota Wild absolutely, you know, pushed their will on the Winnipeg Jets. Was it the Jets' best game? By no means it wasn't. And the one thing that I think makes that clear and obvious is halfway through the second period when the Jets decided to turn it on, they were absolutely dominant. And we'll get into reasons why that happened and why that worked. But no doubt, the Jets were absolutely dominant um, at that point in the game. And that is one thing that maybe I walk away with a little concern. As I'd said, last year around this time, the Jets had started to unravel. I think it was about five straight losses. Uh, I think I think the fourth loss was the game against the Columbus Blue Jackets. The fifth loss was the game, the 7-1 loss to the Minnesota Wild. And then I think they went on to Calgary and pulled out a victory there. It was one of those Connor Hellebuck steals the show kind of games, if I remember correctly. Um, don't want to say the Jets are unraveling at the seams. I will say this. Nothing to really be happy about in this game the last game yes they pull out a victory and it's that old you know the Jets know how to win in crazy tight games or however it goes but it's a game in which there were some pretty big warts in them giving up those three goals and that game going into overtime when they're up three nothing with five minutes left then you go to the game before that and the Jets kind of inability to get scoring like we saw here tonight um, and they lose a game to the Pittsburgh Penguins and if I'm not mistaken the game before that is the game against the Seattle Kraken that they pull entirely out of the fire uh, but a game that they win 3-2 in overtime again where they had trouble scoring and were able to pull the goaltender after a great drawn penalty by Pierre-Luc Dubois but I think you could say this the Calgary Flames game they lost as well and weren't able to score I'm counting four of their last five games in which the Jets really can't get going offensively here and that's got to be a concern have they, you know, fared well in those games? Well, they lost against Calgary, they lost against uh, Pittsburgh, and they lost against uh, the Minnesota Wild here tonight, losing three of uh, of those five games. Could have very well been a loss against the Seattle Kraken. I, I think it's start 
it's time to start saying, I'm not saying sound the alarm bells, but I think it's start time to start taking a look at the Winnipeg Jets and the way they've been playing lately and trying to decide whether or not there are issues they need to move on from uh, or if the kind of game that they're playing at this point is sustainable. Uh, best guy to talk to about that, of course, is my main man, Kenny Weeb, who is in a very different part of the uh, XL Energy Center here. I'm trying to point him out. I don't see him anywhere, but I do see him on the screen. So time to bring in Kenny. Now with the best music in the business, here he comes. Ken, my friend, looking good as usual. I've got myself a Vittorio Rossi number here. Frank and the boys put this bad boy together. I got to say this. I got uh, compliments on the tie here earlier on tonight. Uh, you know, walking down the street, people just casually, you know, say, hey, nice tie. And I'm like talking to strangers on the street and being like, you know, my friend Frank at Vittorio Rossi. Well, he's the guy who could hook you up like that because he is the guy who could hook you up like that. Although I don't know if that helps the people here in Minnesota, but it does help the people back home at Winnipeg. If you want to look like Kenny and Rennie, head on down to Vittorio Rossi at Corden Avenue. Tell them Kenny and Rennie sent you and ask for Frank or one of the boys and they can uh, take they can turn turn i don't know what can they they can turn something into gold i don't know what it is water into wine whatever they can do it's like a religious experience but good stuff there ken great to see you um give me an idea what you saw out there tonight yeah capital g or u u g l y ugly right there for the that was a tough that was a tough word (laughs) it was a tough word for the jets also uh tough word to hear as well uh certainly very interesting i mean I love the honesty in the post game. Nate Schmidt saying, you know, 10 minutes out of 60 is not going to get it done. Uh, I, you know, we'll dig into what Rick, Rick Bonus said afterward. But for right now, uh, boy, oh boy, um, it's funny. It's, isn't it so interesting, Sean? When we went into the last game, we wondered how it would look because the Carolina Hurricanes were a team that made the Jets look slow a lot last year in the two meetings. Whereas tonight, the Wild were the ones who made the Jets look slow. And the Jets actually were quite fast against the Carolina Hurricanes for the majority of the game. No doubt. Uh, on Monday. So they had a little bit of a hiccup here today is what I would call it. Uh, it was interesting. We was talking with Jamal Mayers. Uh, the Jets just were not able to get anything going through the neutral zone. Their passing was very poor. Uh, just kind of a little bit off or a little bit forward. Um, so to me, I mean, that was an issue that we saw quite a bit. I mean, the puck management, poor, uh, very undisciplined, a bunch of offensive zone minors and just kind of uh, avoidable penalties, let's just say in a big word. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it just was an ugly game on a lot of fronts. I mean, having said that, so interesting, Sean. At 3-1, when Kyle Connor scored late and the Jets had a bunch of chances in the second, even Nate Schmidt said it, the Jets felt... Like there was an opportunity to win the game, but then they give up a power play goal in the opening minute of the third, and then they just had nothing to give. And uh, actually, I applaud Rick Bonus for rolling out the third and fourth lines and and having the top six take a seat for the majority of that last whatever seven eight minutes or whatever it was. Uh, you know, there were not Sean. Let's put it this way: there have not been many nights where the Jets had a lot of passengers. Tonight was one of those nights. They had far too many passengers. And it came back to haunt them. I mean, the, sure, the Wild got a couple of bounces, but the Jets had no business winning this game, and it was their most lopsided loss uh, of the season. Is that a reason to, for folks to panic? I wouldn't say so, but um, you know, the other part of that is, as you kind of you started going through the laundry list, John, um, if the Jets don't rebound in Dallas, now all of a sudden you're looking at you know losses in three out of four, and some nights where they haven't been as sharp as what we're used to seeing. So the sustainability piece, uh, that's an important one. 
I do think the Jets have a playoff team in terms of what their roster and what have they done or what they have been able to do so far through 18 games. Uh, but it doesn't just happen on its own. And tonight was one of those days where Rick Bonus felt, Sean, that it was important to remind his team that with, you know, with great results comes great responsibility. And the great responsibility means you can't take nights off like the one the Jets took on Wednesday night at Excel Energy Center. Uh, they they were not ready, and they got waxed, quite frankly. Yeah, you know what? I thought that was really interesting uh, when uh, Rick Bonus said that after the game. The, because to me, well, it's a story that uh, I w- I'll talk about it a little bit here, and then maybe we can get into it on a broadcast another time. But I had a conversation with Mark Shifley um, about what he thought about what Rick Bonus said to him. So it was very interesting. We talked about this on the last show about what Rick Bonus said to, to Josh Morrissey to kind of get him, you know, in the mind space that he's been and really kind of turned him around. And it all started with his first phone call. He called him up and said all these things to him in his first phone call. We talked about it on the show here tonight. Uh, and, and that first phone call had an effect. Well, he had a similar phone call with Mark Shifley where he talked to him. And this was what he said. And so it's interesting that this came up here. This was going to be one of our stories. We never got to it. Quite frankly, we didn't get to it because Mark Shifley didn't have the kind of games that we can get to be telling stories about Mark Shifley. Um, but Shifley talked to me and said that when he, the fir- very kind of first phone call that he had with Rick Bonus, Rick Bonus said to him, listen, by the way you've played, by the way you've performed, by the results you've got in your time in the league, you have you have created an expectation of yourself in this league. And with that expectation comes responsibility to continue meeting that expectation. And that was kind of the thing that he got to click. Ken, if you're not uh, going to with comments, can you get that one off the off the board there? Um uh, th- I thought that that was a, the, the kind of the idea that clicked in Mark Shifley's head that it was like, wait a minute, that's right. Like last year, Mark Shifley really wasn't Mark Shifley, but Mark Shifley had created an expectation of Mark Shifley. And if you don't meet those expectations, things can go pretty sour for you. I mean, there's a lot of different players in the league who, if they would have had the year that Mark Shifley had last year, people would have been ecstatic with them. You know, if a kid that came out of the blue in Seattle last season and had a season like Mark Shifley had, people would be ecstatic. But no, last year, even though he's a point-per-game player, was considered a down year for Mark Shifley because we know what Mark Shifley looks like when he's at his best, and we know that wasn't him last year. So I love that idea because he's basically, these are one of the tenets that, Rick Bonus operates under is and he said that about the team he said we've fought our way into a position where we were fighting for first place in the central division you have to you have to take a look at that and say we've now created an expectation for ourselves and I love the line that he used he says he's not a big believer in lessons right like oh let's take this night as a lesson and move on right he said I'm not a big believer in lessons and what I took from that Ken tell me if you if I'm wrong or if I'm way out to lunch but what I took from that was him saying that's not a lesson that this team needs no one needs to be taught that lesson they know this this isn't something they didn't know what he did say was there are harsh reminders and tonight is a harsh reminder that if you don't bring your game, you're not going to be able to say to people, we're one of the best teams in the league right now, because that didn't look like one of the best teams in the league. And that's not a team that's going to hang around in the conversation for first place in the league if they do that. So the gauntlet has been dropped by Rick Bonus. He said to this team, you've created an expectation. Your start created an expectation, and now you need to live up to that expectation. Tonight, the Jets did not come anywhere close to living up to that expectation. Yeah, bang on. And, uh, you know, I love the way that Rick, I mean, it's interesting. The harsh reminder is actually kind of the lesson, don't you think? I mean, I don't know. For me, it don't, I mean, honestly, don't you think? It, it kind of, to me anyway, that's, that was my interpretation. Uh, I, I love the fact of how Rick delivered that message. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's easy to just say, oh, well, you got to learn from that loss. I mean, Rick Nate Schmidt said it himself. You got to learn from that because you don't want to be getting your behind kicked with any level of regularity. You want to be a consistent hockey team. You know, every team gets waxed at least once or twice a year, but you can't afford to have that happen to you with, with, with any degree of regularity. Uh, it's kind of you know weird that it happened almost a year to the day 
uh, of the last time the Jets lost 7-1, as you mentioned. Um, but overall, I mean, to me, this is a one-off, but it also is a reminder that you cannot play that way or else you, you can get kicked. I mean, there were a couple bad bounces, but the Jets did not play well enough. They were not sharp enough. They were not disciplined enough. They were not fast enough. They did not generate enough offense. They did not generate enough sustained pressure. They did not do a good enough job backtracking in the neutral zone. They didn't defend well enough, and they didn't really get to the net or clean up the front of the net all that well. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, let's talk about this. I mean, Sean, the Jets were supposed to have learned a lesson from not from allowing the Carolina Hurricanes to get to the net to provide traffic for all three extra attacker goals they allowed. Then today, there were a couple opportunities where, yes, one of them is definitely a bad bounce that goes up into the air off of the shoulder of Connor Hellebuck. But then it was Boldy, right? Boldy gets inside position. The puck doesn't go in off Boldy, but if Boldy's not standing there, that puck might not have gone in the net, right? Hellebuck Hellebuck might have been able to get there, or Adam Lowry might have been able to get over there. So they didn't do a good enough job on their box outs. Um, They didn't do enough job. They didn't skate nearly well enough, and... You know, they just weren't good. I mean, that that's... I mean, Andy Johnson, the Jets miss a skilled player like Ehlers. Yeah, absolutely, the Jets miss a skilled player like Ehlers. Well, yep. guess what? The Minnesota Wild miss Ryan Hartman. Ryan Hartman had a great year for the Minnesota Wild last year. Um, all teams are missing players already at this time of year. It's tough for them. Uh, you know, the Jets are missing players, no doubt about that. Uh, Sean, you, you had it first. Uh, Nikolai Ehlers had his surgery in Detroit today. Uh, the timetable is, uh, you know, six to eight weeks. Um, in terms of, you know, maybe 10 weeks. I mean, somewhere in there. I mean, Rick Bonus said roughly eight weeks. We'll see how long it takes. Uh, Morgan Barron, quickly, for folks who were unaware, uh, did skate again today. He was shooting puck, so he's coming along. Uh, Mason Appleton's still going to be a while, obviously, with that wrist injury. But the Jets have ample players at their disposal to get the job done. Uh, they just played against a wild team that, in seven of their first 18 games, Sean, they scored two or fewer. Shut out twice. Three games with one, two games of two, and then they explode for six tonight. I mean, uh, it was an interesting game. I mean, Cole Perfetti probably had the best scoring chance of the entire game. Blake Wheeler made a dynamite pass over to him. Perfetti thought he had a wide open net. He takes a, you know, took a pretty hard shot, but uh, Philip Gustafson got the. I think it was the paddle. He shot across the crease, uh, made an incredible save. But the Jets didn't generate nearly enough offense, so. Uh, and they didn't get enough offense because they didn't play with speed. They didn't play with pace. They looked slow, and they didn't really get much going. And uh, it's a it's a both a blessing and a curse. Rick Bonus said his fourth line was his best line. And while you need your fourth line and your third line to be good, if the fourth line is the best line, Sean, with all due respect to all fourth lines across the NHL, when the fourth line is the best line, it's very rare that a team wins a hockey game unless their goalie stands on their head. And again, I don't think that Connor Hellebuck was an issue at all in this game. He gave no. up six, and he was not the issue. There was really never a sense of that he was... I mean, if you pulled him, it was a mercy pull. Um, but anyways, the Jets were poor. I mean, this to me, again, uh, it's, it's more of a one-off, but they also need to be sharper. I mean, we said on this trip, they got three divisional games. You knew the Wild would be ready for them. They had a five-day break after playing Carolina. And they were sharp and they were ready. And they played with a level of desperation that the Jets did not meet. And that's what happens when you're, you know, fourth in the NHL going into the game in points percentage. Teams are going to get up to play you, especially when they're a team that is a division rival with that has had plenty of spice in the series over the last couple of years. Um, I'm going to do something a little bit out of order than we usually do. I'm going to hand out the home field dig deeper comment because I can't imagine a comment coming in better than this. Julie Sue says, my lamplighter is my cat who threw up a hairball and saved me from watching the last 10 minutes of the game. I think that one was probably hard to That's harsh. To, uh, Hard, hard to stomach for a lot of people. Uh, Julie Sue, who we know is a hardcore Jets fan, and usually I think, uh, you, you know, uh, likes to fight for her team. I think uh, sometimes the comments that are made on this show here, uh, she will she'll take 
I don't want to say takes offense to, but she's willing to fight for her team. She's definitely willing to fight for her captain. We've seen that in the past. Um, so when she's calling out the team like this, you know it was a bit of a rough game. So going to hand out the home field the home field dig deeper award of the game to Julie. Sue, can give our guys at home field a shout out, please. Yeah, home field for your marketing and more, your needs for marketing and more. You can reach them at myhomefield.ca. Also, yeah, tell and- them Kenny and Rennie sent you. Yeah, might as well. Might as well. Um, also, uh, let's might as well get right into it because she brought up the lamp lighter. Uh, time for you all to start giving me your lamp lighter of the game. Uh, all you have to do is tell us what your favorite goal of the game was, the best goal, the whatever. Or sometimes your lamp lighter, as we've seen, people make quirky little moments out of it. Uh, someone was calling Wheeler's giveaway earlier on tonight the lamp lighter of the game. Um, Ken, what was your lamp lighter of the game? Well, I mean, nice goal by Kyle Connor, but uh, my lamplighter is the goal uh, by Matt Boldy, uh, the last, you know, the last goal, the sixth goal on the power play. But the wasn't the goal. The goal was shot into an empty net, uh, and we'll get into the coach's challenge immediately when we're done this, Sean, because I know you had an interesting theory that I'm pretty sure Rick Bonus subscribed to the theory or certainly mm-hmm. uh, appreciated it. Uh, but for me, it was the pass by Kirill Kaprizov. I mean. He did an, an unbelievable job of faking um, faking his the play to open up the lane to Matt Boldy. And, I mean, Rick Bonus believes that the stick of Boldy got caught up in the skate. Sorry, not Boldy. The guy in front that was being tackled by Neil Pionk uh, got into the skate of Connor Hellbuck, which prevented him from pushing across. But that pass by Kaprizov just absolutely off the charts. And I'm not just picking it because I plan to write about Kirill Kaprizov uh, at the top of my Weebs World Sunday NHL notes uh, column this week coming up. But man, oh man, what an exceptional pass and good finish by Boldy, who had been struggling offensively. Uh, the goal by Boldy, his seventh of the year, is my lamp later of the game. Okay, Lamplighter, and of course, uh, we need people to know that uh, if uh, if uh, they want to sample some of TransCanada Brewing Company's Lamplighter Amber Ale, we got you covered. We got to give away an eight-pack every single episode of the show. All you have to do is tell us what your Lamplighter of the game was, your favorite goal, your favorite moment, any of those kind of things. Tell us what your Lamplighter Ale was, or light Lamplighter Amber Ale moment of the game was and we will uh add you into the pot pull a name out of that pot and you can win this eight pack of lamplighter amber ale and if you uh can't wait for us to give you some of that head on down to transcanter brewing company go to their tap room at 11290 keniston go check them out they have just a wall of delicious delicious beers all over the place again kenny i want to get together with you and try with some of those sours because people were telling me those sours were, were phenomenal but that's it give us your lamp lighter of the game and i'm happy to announce that crystal morgan won the uh lamp lighter of the game last game so crystal uh who usually direct messages both of us but direct <laughs> messages me um to let me know that she uh wants to what her lamp lighter of the game was she's been religious with this so great on her um, uh, is that like putting in two entries, Sean? Is that like putting in two entries? If she, if she says I don't know. To both of us? I, I don't count it twice. <laughs> I, I, I mostly ignore what you send my way, Ken. No, that's not okay. true. Uh, anyone who's sending the Ken keeps sending the Ken. He sends them over to me. But uh, Crystal has been downright religiously putting that in. So now you can religiously respond to me. I know you got my contact information. Send it my way. Send it with your full name, your real name. Uh, if Crystal Morgan isn't your real name, and send it along with your email, and I will send you a voucher for your frosty, delicious Lamplighter Amber Ale. And the last two uh, winners, I know Stonewall Dave is one of them. Uh, the the document that I have to share with you is on the computer at home. You haven't got yours yet because I'm down here. I'll get home tomorrow, and I'll get those straight away to everybody. Great job. Uh, Ken? Uh, yeah, just for Stonewall Dave, yeah, and, and to the folks that were just crushing us for not knowing what COD was Call of Duty. Uh, you know, Sean, I'm not sure about you. I know you're a couple years younger than I am, but uh, you know, the I last know time the last time I was really a gamer was uh, when I was playing with the Winkler Flyers, and we were playing uh, the NHL '94 on the Sega Genesis. So, uh, my my first uh, computer uh, gaming console when I was growing up as a young teenager, maybe in Altona. Uh, was a ColecoVision. So, hey, all of you young folks, why don't you look it up on the old interwebs and uh, and see what you can find. Uh, we certainly 
uh, not quite in the stages where we're playing a lot of Call of Duty, but we can appreciate that other people are. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to throw this out here. Lynn Reimer says, Kenny and Rennie, please make sure you tell people how to get the tickets for your Christmas party. People were asking. Well, I bring it up because Stonewall Dave himself, uh, when he contacted me and gave me his contact information for the beer, he also asked for tickets for he and his wife to uh, the Kenny and Rennie Christmas party on December 18th, starting at 6 o'clock, an hour before the game. We'll all get together and have a good time watching that. A game against the Seattle Kraken. The Jets will be in Seattle. Stonewall Dave has signed up. He's booked his tickets. You got to do the same. If you want to do it, you do it the same way as you get a hold of me for the Lamplighter. Uh, direct message me on Twitter or direct message Ken on Twitter or on Instagram. Or if you find a way to get a hold of our email, send it to our email. Just get a hold of us. Let us know that you want to go and we'll set tickets aside. Like I said, they've been moving fairly fast. Uh, uh, last I checked, we were in between a third to half of them sold. So they are starting to run out so if uh if you want to go and we'd love to meet up with everyone there we want to pack the house at the, at this event um send us a direct message and we will make that happen ken uh time to uh there we go there we go chris yes crystal morgan that is your name of course it is uh ken time for the johnston group got you covered play of the game what you got oh boy uh <laughs> The got you covered play of the game. I think. I've got one. I've got oh, one. Yeah, and I sorry. think it's our next talking point. I okay, think perfect. The got you oh, covered. Yeah, I know where you're going here. Yes. You know exactly where I'm I going do. With yes. This. The got you covered play of the game for me is Rick Bonus uh, challenging the goal that Connor Hellbuck wanted challenged. Now, Rick Bonus tried to give an explanation of it afterwards. Uh, we, we, I'll yeah, give it. I'll it. give let's the explanation it. when you're done. You go. Okay. And then I'll go after. A- anyway. anyway in my opinion, I sent this to Ken right away afterwards. This is what he was talking about. I think that that was a, a time where a frustrated goaltender who is in the middle of a game that, to your point, Ken, I don't think was his fault, was feeling frustrated and reached out in frustration. And it was like, let's challenge this thing. I don't think it matters if that goal turns over. The game's over at that point. There's no risk to it, even if the Jets end up with another penalty kill uh, coming out of that. Um and I think Rick Bonus was like, yep, he wants it. He gets it and went and challenged that. I, I, now he's going to get into the explanation. You can get into the explanation, Ken, on what he said. But I can tell you, I watched that and I didn't think there was any way in H-E double hockey sticks that that <laughs> call was going to get turned over. Jamal Mayers did say so on the broadcast as well. He didn't think that that was going to be turned over. You can get into it. I'll give my opinion on why I don't think there should have been any consideration of that being turned over. But that is my Johnson Group got you covered moment of the game was the head coach, Rick Bonus finding a way to connect with his goaltender and show him he had his back and get some value and some relationship building out of a game that didn't have a lot else to talk about. Uh, great stuff, I thought, by Rick Bonus And, of course, the Johnston Group. We've got you covered play. We love this play. Uh, you won't find two businesses with the same challenges, but you will find 30,000 businesses with Chambers Plan. Employee benefits proudly administered by our friends at Johnston Group. Chambers Plan is Canada's number one plan for employee benefits because it evolves with the way you work and live. The plan is run as a not-for-profit designed specifically to support small businesses and its unique pooling strategy keeps rates stable so you won't have any surprises at your next renewal. Chambers Plan now comes with professional consulting on key financial, legal, and HR issues, and teledoc telemedicine services are included with every health option. See how Chambers Plan can benefit your business by visiting chamberplan.ca. Ken, take it away with Rick's explanation of why he uh, didn't think it was a goal. Yeah, here's a direct quote. His stick was clearly in our goalie's skate, clearly. Listen, there's going to be battles around the net. You're still responsible for your stick. In our eyes, and his stick clearly goes under Connor's skate stick, his stick and his skate, and knocks him down. The, this goaltender interference is a gray area. In parentheses, Sean, we know that we know what Rick Bonus thinks of gray areas. He hates them. Uh, yes, it really is. Yeah. But when we saw that, and kind and Connor kind of motioned, motioned to the bench. I'm going to support Connor. He made the right call. He looks at me and he thinks it's goaltender interference. I will go with him 100%.
There you go. So he's got his back is basically what he's saying out of that. Now, I completely, completely disagree with his assessment that like as that player, you're still responsible with his stick. He basically gets bulldogged by Neil Pionk down the ground. I mean, that player's stick is on the ice because the player is on the ice. The player is on the ice because Neil Pionk mugs him in front of the net and and. I don't think for a second it's the responsibility of the player getting mugged to make sure that he is putting his stick away from his body, away from the direction of the goaltender so that he can save the goaltender's space in that moment. There's, To me, this was an open and shut case. I was surprised when they were challenging it at first, but I wasn't. When I looked over and I saw you could read his lips, he said goaltender interference. And after he did that, he turned to Connor Hellebuck and he gave him a little head nod. Right. If you were watching the game, it was it's actually a really great example of great camera work brought by our crew down here on Wednesday night hockey. He gives them the head nod. And then it was touched on by T. Will right here. When it's all said and done, T. Will says the funny thing was when Bones looked over at Helly and shrugged when it was turned over to me. The fact that I don't know how often a coach sits there and is like, yeah, we're going to challenge this and turns to the goalie and is like, hey, bud, we're going to challenge this. We got you covered. And then when it doesn't happen, turns to his goalie and is like, well, we gave it a try. Like to me, that had nothing to do with trying to, to overturn that goal and everything to do with a coach saying to his goaltender, I've got you covered. If you want us to do this, I'll go to war for you at this moment. We tried, bud. It didn't work, but don't worry. We'll move on from this. I think that uh, after that play, the relationship between Connor Hellebuck and Rick Bonus got stronger. That's a savvy, savvy bit of coaching, if you ask me. Yeah, and let's stay on Hellebuck for a second because I want to talk with, to you and the you know our listeners about the you know pulling him versus not pulling him in a blowout kind of game. Uh, I actually wondered when when they were having the delay. To be honest, Sean. I wondered if they were thinking about putting Riddick in after the fifth goal as kind of a mercy pull, let Connor take a breather, and then have him ready to start on you know Friday night against the Dallas Stars and you know team that's you know in first place in the Central Division. Instead, it was for the challenge, which again I'm totally with you. Uh, Joel Erickson, by the way, was the player in front with Neil Pionk, uh, you know whose stick got tucked, got caught a little bit. Um, so anyways, I'm more curious for your thoughts. Here's what Rick Bonus said when he was asked, how do you balance things with Hellebuck between pulling him and letting him eat it for six goals against? Rick says, and I quote, he's a competitive guy. Listen, they want to finish the game. He's a competitive guy. I love the guy and I love his compete. He wasn't at fault. It's not like, okay, the goalie is having a bad night. That wasn't the case at all. So let him finish the game. I love the guy and I let him compete. Uh, you know, again, I understand where Rick is coming from. And Sean, I wonder too, if David Riddick hadn't started the game on Monday against the Carolina Hurricanes, then maybe you give the guy a break. You took the head thing down. Oh, no, um, I was just trying to tell in bones. We trust go to my, go to my, uh, my Twitter account. Send me a message. If you want to go to the, if you want to go to the live showing, go to my Twitter account, leave me a message. Go on, Ken. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, if if Riddick hadn't played on on Monday against Carolina, then maybe you think about giving him the mercy pull and having him fresh. But to me, I like the fact that he let him left him in. Because Sean, what else do we know about Connor Hellebuck? He doesn't like getting pulled. Yeah. Right. So yeah. again, I think this is great assessment by Rick Bonus because for us, we're looking here and thinking, man, this game could get to eight, you know, seven, eight goals. You're thinking you don't want to, you don't want Hallebuck to have to wear that. Here you are, Sean. You've got a guy in the middle of the Vesna discussion, having an unbelievable season, and now all of a sudden, when the team kind of stinks in front of him, now all of a sudden he's got to eat it and and allow five, six or more goals until things kind of stabilize for them. So I can understand. I mean, I think I actually appreciate Rick Bonus's answer to that question just as much as I appreciate his answer. To the challenging the goal you know, for goalie interference. So, anyways, this this was one of those nights where if you're Connor Hellebuck, you got an it's not a full plinko, but you have an early plinko goal, right? He makes the yeah. save, it goes off Josh Morrissey, and man, oh man, Sean, I don't know what you thought in real time, but in the press box, we're like, whoa, how does Mason Shaw score on a wrist shot from the essentially at the boards at the hash marks? But you see it goes off Hellebuck, then bounces off the defenseman. Um, so it wasn't as bad a goal as it looked like in real time. 
Now, however, I mean, in the other one is tough luck, the one that goes up in the air. But, man, there just were a couple of, you know, the Jets' coverage wasn't very good. The Felino, uh, you, know, you know, rebound, tap in. You know, you got to have your head on a swivel there if you're the defenseman. I mean, that's a guy, Felino can't be wide open. I mean, yes, was it a juicy rebound? Sure. But you got to have some guys in coverage. Um, again, I, I know some folks were talking earlier, Blake Wheeler, you know, bouncing puck, uh, you know, turnover in his own end, uh, two on nothing, great pass by Erickson Eck, but that's just a bad goal all around. Uh, again, things happen, but man, I mean, I didn't think Hellebuck was, was at fault at all. I would have understood if Rick Bonus had pulled him for his benefit, but I also appreciate the fact that he wanted to leave him in there, uh, because, you know, he likes to be competitive and, you know, Hellebuck thinks probably they could still rally when he's in the net. He's probably going to slam the door. So uh, I think it was a smart play by him to leave him in, even though in real time I was kind of wondering if it might be a good idea to give him a break. I think this is an interesting comment by Beerley who says Bones should have benched Telly not because of his play, but rather to send a message to the boys. Psychologically, I would feel terrible as a player if my all-star goalie got pulled. That's an interesting one. Nate Schmidt kind of talked a little bit about that after the game, about how, uh, you know, he agreed that they left Connor Hellebuck out to dry. Um, Sorry, it was Kyle Connor who said afterwards, Connor Hellebuck's one of the best players in the league, and he's going to come back from this and be one of the best players in the league. So I think they felt that way. Nate said that too, Uh, though. Nate did also say that they loved yeah, to Yeah, I, I thought both of them were into it. I, th- I thought Connor, uh, uh, Kyle Connor kind of hammered it home a little bit more directly. Um, but, I mean, the, the one thing I would say about that, that, the potential for this, for doing something like this to kind of affect your players, is I still think you have the ability to affect the goaltender psychologically. And why do that when your players probably don't need to learn this lesson? The pr- players probably know when they hung a guy out to dry and they don't need to be shamed for it at the risk of upsetting your goaltender. I do think, Ken, this is a really interesting situation. Before I get into it, I want you to give your our main man, Lou, a shout out. Sure. For all the folks uh, in our chat and listening uh, that are looking for or have any needs when it comes to real estate, if you're buying, if you're selling, if you're curious about where things stand with the market, contact our guy Lou Furlan of Royal LePage Dynamic Real Estate Realty. Uh, You can reach him 204-791-9971 or at the office line 204-989-5000. And uh, Sean, we got to get that email address added to the bottom yeah, you there. bet we'll get there uh, that's, um, that's our next it's like i think it's blue at lou ferlin dot uh, ca but i'm going to double check that right now well i'll tell you this I, i'm a little jealous of our main man lou ferlin because he's looking sharp in this picture i love the print on that jacket and uh how crisp does that white shirt look lou's out here looking better than i am on my own show i don't know what his deal is but i'll tell you this i know he looks that good because he goes to vittorio rossi and frank and the boys so and then i want to also give one last shout out to our friends at cambrian credit union you and i are both members there so we've seen their new website ken and their new online banking experience we've also benefited from their unfee banking account and that's one of the things we love about Banking with Cambrian is banking for free with Unfee, saving $220 per year. We simply set up a recurring direct deposit every month to our Cambrian checking or savings accounts, and that's how we qualify. No minimum balance required. Uh, Great uh, to have Cambrian on board. Okay, let's get to this. Uh, I kind of forgot what I was talking about. What are we talking about here? Oh, no. We had Hellebuck. We just finished It's still Hellebuck. Did we finish up Hellebuck? I think we're finished. You uh, you said psychologically, uh, and I. And this is the other thing to Beer League's comment. I think it's more important to make sure you're not upsetting the Vesna goalie than lighting a fire for your team uh, to kind of respond. I'm with you 100% uh, that I think the players already realized they had left their all-star goalie out to dry. They didn't need a reminder. So, uh, yeah, well... So this is one thing I think is interesting. Connor Hellebuck's a different kind of goaltender. I've been wondering about the way. So last last uh, game when David Riddick started, I, I stand by my comments and I still do think that that was a way of of Rick saying Rick Bonus saying essentially, look, the right thing to do in this situation is get the backup goaltender in, right? It's not about when Connor Hellebuck wants to go or when I can sneak this in for the guy. It's about we need to keep our backup goaltender engaged. So we're going tonight against a really good team. That's just how it goes. I love the confidence. It paid off for them. Uh, and I think the Jets, again, once again, this is a coaching decision made by Rick Bonus. I think they're better off for it. 
But I do think, too, that when you've got an all-star goaltender, a Vesna-caliber goaltender like you do in Connor Hellebuck, you have to kind of have a conversation with them. Now, I personally think, Ken, that during the the Paul Maurice era, that Paul Maurice was ruled a little bit too much by the conversations with Connor Hellebuck. Yes, Connor Hellebuck wants to play every single game. We've heard him say that before, but that doesn't mean you just hand the games over to them. You and I had plenty of conversations on this podcast last year that, that we wanted to see more of Eric Comrie. I think that was a mistake last year. It was a mistake they didn't play Con- Eric Comrie more often. And I think that mistake is born out of the idea that you're riding one goaltender and that goaltender always wants to play. And then you start worrying as a coach that if you lose a game, it's going to stand out because Connor Hellebuck wanted to play and he said he was ready to play and you didn't play him. And then you're worried that your team is thinking, well, we could have won that night if you just would have put in Connor the way that Connor wanted to play. And I think that that was kind of the struggle that past coaching staffs have had with Connor Hellebuck. And I think Rick Bonus just tunes out that noise. To your point, Rick Bonus is black and white. He thinks there's a right decision and a wrong decision. And he's made it clear the right decision is the decision to make sure that your backup goaltender is engaged. However, I do think he's had conversations with Connor Hellebuck and knows the kind of goaltender he is. Ken, I don't think that even if Rick Bonus hadn't played, or sorry, David Riddick hadn't played the last game. I don't think he would have pulled Connor Hellebuck in this situation because I think what he saw is a goaltender that is not going to feel shell-shocked, right? Like, that's why you pull a goaltender is either A, a goaltender doesn't want to play anymore, a la go back to Patrick Waugh being hung out to dry in his last game as a Montreal Canadian and felt embarrassed by being hung out to dry and wanted the coaches to pull him out of that game earlier. Well, that's one thing you don't have to worry about as a coach with Connor Hellebuck is he doesn't want to be pulled out. He could be losing 15 to 1. Connor Hellebuck does not want to come out of that game. And two, I don't think as a coach, Connor Hellebuck is the kind of player who gets shaken. So I don't think him getting lit up like Ken for a second. Do you think that Connor Hellebuck is going to be poor in his next start no, because his confidence was shattered in this game? No. No. no so those aren't those aren't considerations for a coach. So I think. This is one thing where he did, he may handle it a little bit differently, but he handles it differently because he's had conversations with Connor Hellebuck. He knows the player, knows he's not fragile, knows he doesn't feel miffed or like he's been embarrassed by his coach and staying in in games like that. So I think I think this is the way it should be unless, unless you think your team has a chance to come back and win in that game that you don't pull your goaltender out unless you think it's going to turn the tide of the game. And I do think that based on the Jets' last 10 minutes of the second period, the game being 3-1, when they came out in the fourth period and scored that quick goal, I just think it was one of those games where it didn't line up that that you could pull the goaltender, put in David Reddick, hoping that it was going to be a boost. It happened strangely, but I don't think there's anything wrong with this decision. But I also think Rick Bonus handles Connor Hellebuck differently, and in this case, the same way Paul Maurice would have handled him because Connor Hellebuck's a different goaltender. Yeah, I mean, let's not get this confused, though. I mean, Rick Bonus is not afraid to ride his number one goaltender. I mean, he's done it during the course of his career at all, and he will still ride Connor Hellebuck. He just doesn't need to play 65 to 68 games. I still expect Hellebuck to play 60-plus, but he doesn't need to play 67. I mean, that's that's just the way that it is here. So, uh, again, Connor Hellebuck rarely has... Again, I don't even think I wouldn't even consider this an off night for him outside of the numbers. It's unfortunate for his numbers because he's put together such a great start to the year. But, like, this is a, you know, it's a day where things just didn't line up. I don't think this is a bad, yeah. a lot of bad goals uh, scored on Hellebuck here. And I'm, I'm I expect him to be incredibly sharp against the I, Stars on Friday. I'm going to answer this one quickly. ADs TV kid said, why, TV kid says, why does the coach have to take a penalty then just to appease Hellebuck? The penalty doesn't matter in that, at that point. What's more important is building trust with your goaltender. The game's over. And so if taking a penalty in that case brings you closer with your goaltender and helps you build trust, then that's why you take that penalty. A uh, quick question as well in Bones We Trust as well. Hanla ever score like Makar? No. Moving on to the next topic, uh, which. Uh, well, let's let, stay let's on him for Hanla. a little while. Let's make it Hanla. Let's go to Hanla. What did you think of his game tonight? Oh, I think you could start. I mean, for me, you know, nondescript game again for Hanla. Uh, 22 shifts for 13 18. He was on for two against. Um, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't see a whole lot of his strengths being on display, to be quite frank. Nope. Um, 
again, I, I, it's there were a couple nice plays, but overall, he was a non-factor. And when you're fighting to be in the NHL, uh, there can't be many nights when he's in your non-factor. I understand. I mean, hey, could the Jets have rolled out Billy Hanel on a late power play in the third uh, when they're down a bunch of goals? Sure. But I was talking about this with Scott Billick up top. I mean, Billy Hanel did nothing to deserve being on the power play tonight. So you're not going to give him a cookie on a night where he has done not a whole lot. And again, I'm not blaming Hanel. I know these are tough circumstances and he played against another tough team. But if you want to be an NHL regular, you got to show, you've got to play to your strengths. Show the things that you can do well. Um, you know, he played a little bit more than he did last game. You expect, I mean, we talked about it with Rick Bonus this morning. You know, he knew the circumstances were tough. He didn't expect Vili Hanla to play like an all-star. But now you got when you start stacking a few games, now you got to see how he's going to respond. I mean, we talked to with Rick about Dylan DeMello. He could be back as early as Friday or Sunday. So if you were Vili Hanla, you needed a pop today, Sean. You needed a big effort from Vili Hanela and you got kind of a nondescript one is what I, just, I thought. Sorry, and, I'm just going to go back. I, I probably shouldn't get sucked into like arguing no, or responding with the chat room, but 80s good. TV kids says it sets a bad precedent though. Bones doesn't need to be friends with the players. He's not trying to be friends with the players. He's just trying to create trust between a coach and a player. And I don't see how this creates a bad precedent. Like how I don't, I don't understand the comment there. There's no bad precedent here that, that penalty is entirely pointless. It's meaningless in that game, so I don't see how it sets a bad precedent. Um, I'm going to go to a couple comments here about people uh, talking about Billy Hanela. Liquor Beaver says, you may be right. Uh, I think you give um, Billy Hanela 10 straight games with the same D partner and assess at that point. John Chan says, play Hanela for 10 to 12 straight games to see what we have in him before deciding on his future with this team. My beef with these two comments is you basically are saying you need to shape and build this team around the idea of, of figuring out Vili Hanela. Like, this is a team that is in a battle with two really good teams for the Central Division lead right now, and you're going to start making decisions based on what's best for Vili Hanela at this moment? That doesn't make sense. I'm going to back it up, and I'm going to tell you what I saw from Vili Hanela. I saw him, there was one shift where he gave the puck away once, uh, the play came around, he got it again, and he just, without looking through it, straight up the boards right to another wild player, and then the puck got thrown straight back down to him, luckily, and I thought, okay, well, that didn't cost him, because the player that he threw it to just made the same mistake, and then he gave it away again, and then I noticed there was a shift where the Jets had a really, really good, it was during that 10-minute stretch where they were absolutely on fire, and they had it in the zone, and at that point, it's important to protect the puck, to hold on to the puck, and Billy Hanel got the puck, and made a very laissez-faire casual play and turned over the puck and entirely took the pressure off the Minnesota Wild in the process. And again, you know, and there's going to be people upset with me saying this, these are the same problems that we've seen from... This is what got Vili Hanela sent down the first time around. Now, I know people see in Vili Hanela something special. You wouldn't be asking if he's going to score like Kale McCarr if you didn't think he had special offensive upside. I agree, and I think he's got great offensive upside. What he's being asked time and time again, though, is to correct these plays that he continuously makes. And to me, he's either not getting the message or he simply can hasn't figured out how to protect the puck or, or, or that you just can't be making no-look plays in tight situations because there was I listen I got I got a direct message during the game from a Kenny and Rennie watcher I'm not going to bring up the name but they'd say he, they said I'm noticing Billy Hanela right now and Billy Hanela is one of those guys that you can get a message from a, a from a fan who's and it could mean one of two things Ken it could mean them looking and seeing Billy Hanela is the best player on the ice tonight or it could be someone saying Billy Hanel is the worst player on the ice tonight because that's the kind of passion that this guy elicits is people just go the other way. And I think a lot of times people see what they want to see. I'll say this right now. Maybe I'm seeing what I want to see. I don't know why I would want to see anything. I think what I'm doing is giving my very honest opinion of what I see from him. But that's a, that, that person uh, said, I said, well, what are you seeing? And they said, I'm seeing him give away the puck a lot tonight. And I said, well, yeah, that's what I'm seeing as well. Um, a game like that, that was a tough game. And believe me, Ken, we talked about this last game. I thought he played really, really well 
against the Carolina Hurricanes, a team that pressures well. And so he has the capability to do it. But what's the hardest thing for a young player to achieve in the NHL, Ken? Do it consistently. Consistently. Consistency. That's exactly what it was. And so tonight... What I saw from Billy Hanla is that he wasn't able to repeat the performance he had in the last game. His consistency isn't there. And I, I do believe we've seen far more consistency from a player like Dylan Sandberg up to this point. That would mean if everything happens and everyone gets even, uh, I would see Dylan Sandberg being in the lineup before Billy Hanla at any point, which typically means you're not going to have him be the seventh defenseman, which means you're going to see him down with the Manitoba Moose. That's where I see the situation going. Yeah, and just a quick one too. I just want to, you know, augment what you were saying. I mean, it, it, it's not a, you know, it's not a trial by fire. So the, the Jets are trying to win. I mean, I understand if the Jets want to do that last year at the end of the year, fine. Um, Sorry, it, yours truly says consistency. It's been two games. Yeah, two games, and he's had a stinker. Like he's had that. What, what are you talking about? Like, it's not, it's it's the job of a player who's trying to come up and steal an NHL job to show that he's better than everyone else, not his job to come up and lay an egg or, or, or have a poor game every once in a while and have the team ignore it, hoping that this, this is the way. This is how you get to the NHL. You get up and you don't give them an excuse to go down. So consistency, this isn't a sample size thing. You don't have room for error when you're trying to steal someone's job and make the NHL, especially if they're making less errors than you. So consistency, this does not even apply to this situation. Sorry, Ken, go on. No, it's okay. And if we want to, let's talk about consistency quickly. Who did we notice tonight, Sean? Mikey Asamont. What did Mikey yes. Asamont do in his yes. last game? He scored his yes. first NHL goal. What did he there do today? Go. He was all over the ice, all around the net, making plays, making smart plays, getting in on the forecheck. You know what Mikey Asamont is trying to do? He's trying to earn an NHL job. He's trying to be the next version of Matthew Perot at the end of his career. I mean, I understand that. He's not Matthew Perot, but he brings some of the same qualities. He's a dogged four-checker. He has some skill. I mean, Sean, would it surprise you at some point if Mikey Asimont forces his way onto the second power play, if he becomes that net front presence? Like what Matthew Perot would... Everyone's like, oh, Matthew Perot's not a big guy. You know what Matthew Perot did well? Screen the opposition goalie. He got good at it. So to me, Asimont is exactly what Vili Hanla is supposed to be trying to do. He's stacking up consistent efforts because he's trying to force Rick Bonus to leave him no choice but to leave him in the lineup. So, again, let, let's see what happens here going forward. But, man, I mean, come on, people. I mean, giving a guy 10 to 12 games in the middle of, like, you're getting close to the quarter point of the season. I mean, this is not a, you know, I just don't understand I think the Jets should have played Hanela more at the end of last year when they were out of it. Absolutely. It might have been helpful uh, because then maybe he's feeling more confident going into this year. And no one is saying that Vili can't do it or won't do it. He just doesn't necessarily need to do it immediately because right now, you know, when everyone's healthy, he's probably not in the top six. I mean, that's just the way it's been so far. He can change that at some point. And Sean, I love the fact that Rick Bonus put him out for the four and four situation, that's where he should shine when there's yeah. more ice and he has the ability to get the puck into skilled players' hands. But I mean, to just everyone saying, well, just put Billy on the number one power play because it's struggling. I mean, you have to give him a reason to put you on the power play. Does he have the skill to run the top unit? I think in time he will for sure. But right now, Josh Morrissey's been the Jets, one of the Jets' best players. What are you saying to Josh Morrissey if you're giving Vili Hanela the keys to the car on the number one power play instead of the guy yeah. who's leading your team in scoring? Leading the team in what scoring. message are you sending in that situation? I can tell you what it isn't going to be sending, the right message to either Josh or his teammates. Well, and responds exactly the way you've asked him to, right? Like that's the thing that is really special about what Josh Morrissey's doing right now is his head coach essentially challenged him and asked him to do a certain amount of things. And 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 it, it was touched on in the broadcast tonight. Not only has Josh Morrissey responded to that challenge and become like an offensive player to the degree we've never seen from him before, but he's given up nothing on defense in the process. So to your point, 
talk about the definition of insanity trying to take away opportunities from Josh Morrissey who's done every single thing to deserve every opportunity for for what for what reason I it's 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 crazy to me um what, one thing one we, quick one I mean if they want to get incorporate him into that special teams element put him on the second unit it's fine I mean we've talked about this a lot and I still don't have the answers I was I asked Jamal quickly about it uh in the intermission um I just Neil Pionk, there's something off with Neil's game, and maybe if you're going to put him on for somebody, you give him, you give Neil Pionk a break from running the second power play. You can try Hanel at the top of that unit, but you're not putting Hanel on the top unit. And again, we're not even sure if he's going to be in the lineup on Friday. Uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, this is not necessarily the last the Jets will see of Hanel, but man, he needs to elevate. That's and Doug, I didn't say he was shining on the four on four. It was a very brief time. I'm just talking about putting a player in a position to succeed. Villy will be confident in those situations, and over time, he will be a player that can be effective there, Doug. But Kenny's I, responding I, to Kenny is responding to Doug Tarowski, who says Kenny Hanela did not shine in the four-on-four. Um, okay, we got to move on from that. We've talked a lot about that, and we'll get into it more. Um, let's do uh, okay. Is it worth talking about the spark that the Jets got from flip flopping sure. uh, Mark Shifley and Pierre Luc Dubois? Like, I for, at one point I thought that was going to be the story of the game, um, and it was, or it looked like it was going to be, and then the Jets just didn't come out with anything in the third period. But what did you see, Ken? The spark that was created by putting Pierre Luc Dubois back with Kyle Connor, uh, and the one thing I thought was maybe a little bit interesting was the flip flopping. Uh, and putting Shifley with Wheeler. We've all been there before. We've seen that before. But leaving um, leaving Cole Perfetti with Wheeler and Shifley rather than reuniting him with uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois and Kyle Connor. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you and I have talked about this, I think, last week. I would actually like to see Perfetti with Connor and Dubois uh, at some point here and at some point soon, to be quite frank. Um, what I saw, I saw Dubois. I, I saw the chemistry in Dubois and Connor that we saw last season. We yes. didn't see it the last time they went to this combination platter because yep. um, it, it, they hadn't used, been used together during the, that portion of the season, at least not very often, uh, and then not outside of the power play. Uh, I like Dubois and Connor together as a combo. Um, and I think the, I think the Perfetti, um, you know, he had a great, glorious chance, yes. Uh, the penalty that he took, he was back-checking. Uh, so again, I don't blame him for the slashing penalty. Player was in the slot trying to take away a scoring chance. Uh, no issue with that. Um, I actually think that Cole Perfetti could really benefit from playing with Kyle Connor and Pierre-Luc Dubois. Uh, you know, again, he's played a bunch with Dubois already this year. But again, now now you've got Shifley, Wheeler, and then maybe you have Sam Gagne on his off wing, or you have somebody else. Um, yeah, I mean it's. It's interesting. Yeah, Larry, right on. Larry's been trying to beat me the whole game. Larry, how, how positive have I been? You know, he was saying that I would try to find some positive spin on this game. How am I doing on that front so far today? Yeah, you, ha- you, have to, you have to, for the podcast people, read the comment if you're going to respond to it. Sorry, I'm Larry. Just, I'm just laughing at it. You know what, Ken? I take a lot of heat on this, so you can't be losing your mind the one I'm time. I'm not losing my mind. I'm laughing, buddy. I'm Come laughing. Come on here. I was I'm getting laughing. a good laugh out of this. This is a good burn. Larry TSG just totally blew up Ken's concentration by saying, sometimes I wonder if Kenny was watching the same game I was. I think Sean thinks that sometimes too. I like that. Take a, take a bite out of Kenny. I, I need a break over here. I've got the, uh, I've got the minnows nibbling at my toes uh, <laughs> the entire show, or the piranhas not nibbling at my toes. So it, it's good that you get it sometimes. Sorry. Continue on, Ken. No, and I, I'm, it's okay, and I, it's totally fine. I got no problem. I got broad shoulders. I don't mind. I, I can take the heat. I can take the beaking. I can take the shots. Uh, but occasionally, I'll stand up for myself. Um, uh, hey, um, this is a good question from Craig Zamzow, who we saw down at Vittorio Rossi. He was getting you taken did, care yes. of by Frankie and the boys. Uh, Craig Zamzow, uh, let's do our takes on Perfetti at the quarter pole. Is he a top six player on a playoff team in 2023? Ken, start. Or do you want well, me to start? He, I'll start. I mean, okay. uh, he, he is currently the one of the better options the Jets have to be a top yep. six player on a playoff team. Is there room for improvement? Absolutely, 100%. Uh, we've talked about this a lot. Cole is an incredibly smart player. Uh, there are times when the pace is not in his game or not at, the, not at a pace where 
you know, maybe where it needs to be when it comes to being a top six player, playing against some of the fastest teams in the National Hockey League. But, I mean, the Jets don't have a better option right now, Craig. I mean, uh, I don't see one. And, and they've tried a couple of guys already up in the well, top what six. Well, he, what he's asking. I know what he's like, saying. I, I, so yeah. I know exactly okay. what he's asking. Okay. Um, All right. Is he, so, is he a... Is he a top six player on a, on a team that can win the Stanley Cup? I don't know. But this is the thing. I didn't expect to know in the first quarter of the season. So it's a fair and valid question. I just think it is way too early to make a, you know make the declaration that he's not going to be that. I think he has done a nice job. Uh, but Sean, this goes back to our original conversation when you had Cole you know, competing for the Calder Trophy and being a 50 to 60 point player potentially. Yeah. This is why I was saying the reminder about Mark Shifley being a 34-point player. And 34 points for a 20-year-old player, are good. That's, those are fine numbers. But, I mean, the Jets, would they like more? Of course they would. Cole's the kind of guy who's going to get better as the year goes on. Let's not forget, Cole Perfetti didn't skate for almost two months in the summertime when he was going through his back, you know, back issues after coming back from the shoulder. I mean, for a guy who needed to add pace and speed to his game, you basically took him off the ice for two months. Like, it's pretty hard to gain speed when you're not able to train or be on the ice. And again, I'm not blaming Cole whatsoever. Cole wants to get become a better skater. He's working at it. He's working at all aspects of his game. He's improving in many of them. But it's a hard job to ask a 20-year-old who is undersized to be a dominant top six player. But right now, he is one of the best options the Jets have. And I expect Cole to continue to improve as the season goes on. And you know what, Sean? It's hard to improve as the season goes on because the games get harder. And so does the competition. Um, so I'll take a look at this. I mean, if you're taking a look around the league, it is not exactly the most you know overwhelming rookie race. Cole, Cole Perfetti is two points. I sorry, he's right in the middle of it. Going, going into this, he was two points off of Matty Beneers. There were two players with 11 points. I don't know what happened tonight, so maybe those numbers changed. But to get to give you some perspective, Brandon Manitoba's Kalen Addison is also at nine points after he scored tonight. So and had an uh, assist. Know, Oh, had an assist, so he's up to 10. So Kalen Addison is ahead of Cole Perfetti in, in the point production right now. Now, I'm not saying it's all about point production, and I can tell you this. Had he had that kind of game, we, we, we were. it's funny. We talked about it on the podcast two games ago, but that shift that he had in Pittsburgh where he broke up the Malkin scoring chance and then went and broke up another play in the, uh, uh, in the slot and then went down the ice and set up a scoring chance, I asked... Um, uh, Rick Bonus about it. Rick Bonus had said like, well, the Malkin thing is just great hustle, him breaking up the Malkin play, but the next play that he breaks up in the slot is exactly where they're asking guys to be. So to him, that tells him this is a young guy who he said would not have made that decision in training camp and made it during the regular season. So his point is Cole Perfetti is getting better. He's learning. He's becoming a more defensive player that's not costing you as much Um Tonight, you know, he had that opportunity. Uh, Jamal Mayers said he thought he should have won time. It got it off a little bit quicker. I mean, uh, when, when it comes to scoring chances like that, it's a, you know, you know, in the moment thing. Like, I think it's easy afterwards to say, well, he should have done this because you could see on the video replay what the player should have done. Well, he should have shot it higher. He should have gone top corner, whatever else. In that moment, I don't think you can blame that player. Um it's a reminder of how good the NHL goalies are, Sean. Well, I mean, exactly. at the American League level or the junior level, that goal, that's in. I mean, Gustafson makes a Hail Mary save. Sorry. Sorry, I'm just, I'm getting some, I'm getting some, <laughs> never mind. It's um, not funny. I mean. <laughs> it's a little funny. Larry, turn the funny. channel if you're not liking what you're hearing. No, I'm, no, no, no. Let's not go down that road. Larry's, Larry's just, uh, Larry's expressing his opinion. Um, uh, I want to get back though to, to Cole Perfetti. Like, hockey. Sorry, hard. Larry needs to wake up. He's saying what I'm saying is BS. I've been being <laughs> okay. honest this whole show, man. Okay, okay. Um, uh, <laughs> so sorry. Let me close this out so we can close out the show. Uh, Cole Perfetti. So to me, at the quarter point right now, I'll say the same thing as I said last year when he was on that line with Pierre Luc Dubois and Kyle Connor. I mean, he. I didn't think he overwhelmed. 
right? That was a really good opportunity that he had. One of the reasons that why I picked him to win the Calder Trophy this year is because he's got a phenomenal opportunity. He's on a line with Pierre-Luc Dubois, who is second on this team in scoring. He can learn <laughs> stuff from a player who has done a lot of amazing things in the league, uh, like Blake Wheeler. Um, but I'm still at the point where I'm not overwhelmed by him. Now, it's not an overwhelming year, again, I'll say, uh, with the rookie crop. Um, he's only two off the point lead, unless that changed here tonight. Um but I mean, he, th- th- this is where the league is right now. This is what the rookies in the league are looking at right now. And I think if you're looking at the rookies in the league, you you should be happy what you're seeing from uh, Cole Perfetti. But I'll say this, as he stands right now without learning more, Craig Zamzow, if you're asking the question, is he a top six player on a Stanley Cup team? I don't necessarily think that's the case. playoff team? Playoff team? Or did he say Stanley he said Cup playoff team? team? I said okay. Stanley Cup team. He okay, said playoff well, okay. team. Well, okay, so I think he can be on a playoff team, but this goes back to what I keep landing on. And I I like to admit when I've been wrong, and I'm not saying that I'm wrong yet, but I will say this, Ken, you had an idea the other show that I didn't agree with. I'm starting to come around a little bit more, especially based on what we've seen from the Jets lately. Maybe it's because I'm starting to see some some cracks in the armor. We'll see what happens with that. But the idea of going out and getting help now is an idea that has more merit than I originally thought. I had thought of the Winnipeg Jets and the the response that they've gotten from their bottom six and to your point, the fourth line being their best line on this night. I had thought that you keep giving those guys an opportunity until you stop seeing the results. Well, that's when you would... um, that, that's when you would go out and make a move. I like the idea of the Jets trying to save as much of their cap space as they can and going like big time fishing, big game fishing at the trade deadline because I do think based on what this team's window is and the potential to lose players in the coming years, this t- th- this could be, especially if they keep playing and staying where they are in the standings, this could be the Jets' last big shot. And I've said this in the past. I do believe, and that's a conversation we have to have another time, Ken, because I talked to some of the players in the room and got some interesting stuff on, uh, uh, on uh, Coach Bonus. But I do believe... Rick Bonus is the kind of coach that makes, oh, we had this conversation with Jamal the other day. We'll have to get into it on the next show. But um, uh, I think he's the kind of coach who's able to give you a good shot at winning a series and out-coach another coach. So I want to see what this Jets team does with that, but they need to have all the tools. So I'm softening on your stance. I still like the idea of the Jets holding as much calf space as they can and going absolutely nuts at the trade deadline. Big swings, bigger swings than we've ever seen from them before. Uh, but I'll say this. The last five games, I talked about it. We're starting to see cracks in the armor. If it keeps going in that direction, we start seeing the Jets fall. I'll, I'll admit that if they're not getting the results, maybe now is the time for them to start making some moves to try and see what they can shore up. Ken, do you have anything to say before we go? Don't wait until it's too late, just like I said the first time. There you go. There you go. Uh, good stuff. I uh, wanted to say thanks to the chat room uh, who, um, who, yeah, they took some swipes. They took some swipes tonight. Uh, <laughs> that's how it goes. That's the Kenny and Rennie chat room. Uh, I want to say thank you to our sponsors who we've said this once. I'll say it every single time. Uh, if you enjoy the conversations happening in this space, please, please appreciate uh, our sponsors and support our sponsors who are supporting and keeping this conversation in this space. That would be Vittorio Rossi, TransCanada Brewing, the Johnston Group, Lou Ferlin, Homefield, and Cambrian Credit Union. Uh, Ken, you are moving on to Dallas. I'm heading home after this where I will Hand out those eight packs of Frosty Delicious Lamplighter Amber Ale. Uh, Safe travels for you, my friend. Um, I wish myself the same. And thank you so much, chat room, for joining us. We will talk to you again on Friday.